I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. My name is Chase. I'm here with my co-host James, and today we are joined by Dylan Jackson of Swarm and Sting. Dylan's a former At the Hive writer. Some of you might remember him from his time here. Uh, he's the current site expert for Swarm and Sting. The three of us are going to talk about the Jalen McDaniels injury and the implications of that, a whole bunch of trade and a whole bunch of trade-related things for the rest of the show after we're done with the Jalen McDaniels segment. Dylan, thanks for coming on today. How you doing, man? Yeah, appreciate you guys for having me. Uh, got out of class a couple hours ago, so just been been chill getting ready for this podcast. And uh, Hornets play tonight, so hopefully they can turn around the result of the previous two games. Have you hey, gotten to go to? Sorry, James. Have you gotten to go to any Hornets games this year? Because I know you don't live in Charlotte, but Columbia, South Carolina, isn't too far away. Yeah, so I went to the Boston Celtics game. It was like the fourth or fifth game of the year. But other than that, I haven't really been able to get up to Charlotte. But uh, the next game, ironically enough, is the other Boston Celtics game. One of my friends, close friends here in Columbia, is a Celtics fan, which is why. So there you go. And I don't think we've podcasted since you went to the see the Hornets chase in Boston. Ironically, again, um, how was how was your trip? Uh, did you? I mean, firstly, great result for the Hornets. But um, what what did you make of it? And it, what stuck out to you? Is the first time you've seen the Hornets in a few years now? Is that right? Yeah, I hadn't seen Lamelo live, or I mean, any of the other rookies or second year players uh it, it was it was very good I, it's and it's funny because dylan's going to the celtics game he went to the celtics game i went to the celtics game in boston and i'm also going to the next hornets and celtics game in boston so lots of hornets celtics viewing for the members of this podcast right now but yeah it was awesome and i'm excited to go to the next one too but because it's gonna they're probably going to be coming in on a little bit of a different uh mo- or level of momentum than they were the first time kind of in the middle of a win streak but yeah, it, it was fun. It was awesome you, that Lamelo got the triple double like right at the buzzer off of the rebound, and then the whole. Did you team know? Did up. you know at the end he was like needed one rebound? Yeah, because they I saw it on the jumbotron like that he had nine rebounds. So I was like, okay, he's definitely gonna be looking for it. And then yeah. he got it right at the buzzer, and the entire team like cleared the bench and ran up to him, and they were like, "That's ten. That's ten. That's 10. 
Well, I, I was depressed this year because last year I, I got this thing framed on my Zoom, you can see here, which is a, <laughs> which is essentially Lamella Ball, youngest triple-double in NBA history. And I got like a little court of it on. It lasted about six months <laughs> till Josh Giddy broke it this year. And now I just feel like, well, that's a shame. Um, but yeah, it was good for him to get a triple-double. I'm, I'm curious, what did your, because you went with your girlfriend, right? What was her thoughts of the Hornets? Like, how does she does she like watch it with you? Does she just come with you for this game? Like, what was what was her experience like? She watches them sometimes. I wouldn't say like often, but it's she. It's not like overly infrequent either. She likes Lamelo a lot and Terry because I mean I Terry's used to play in Boston and we would go to those games from when he played mm. there, so that was like a recognizable name. So I, she likes Lamelo and Terry a lot. Uh, and I mean, she enjoys like watching basketball as well. So it, it's definitely, I've got myself a pretty good setup. Good. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to our first segment. Obviously we, we touched on the two disappointing losses. If, tell you what, if we lose to Indiana tonight, Hornets fans are going to be a little bit meltdown stations. It definitely, <laughs> you can feel it coming. Like you miss Hayward, McDaniels for a couple of games and, and things have been rocky, but I think the Gordon Hayward injury we think to expect, you know, he's been questionable the last couple of games. It kind of feels like if there were playoff games, he, he would have played. Um, he should hopefully be back soon. It's a bit of a, what's that, just a foot soreness, which is a bit weird because it doesn't feel like it happened in any particular play. You, you hope it's not some stress reaction or something like that. So we're assuming he's going to be back soon. But Jalen McDaniels, from the reporting Sounds like he's going to be out a while. He sprained his ankle. Apparently the first ankle sprain he's ever had in his career, which congrats, Jalen, for getting this far and not doing that because that is impressive, the amount of time he's played. But it, it kind of sounds like with that Cody Martin sprained ankle towards the end of last season where he ended up missing like four to six weeks, it kind of feels like that again. So we could be looking at a, a long period of time here where Jalen McDaniels might not be in the rotation. It could be weeks um, and I know we talked a little bit in the last podcast about what we want to see Jalen McDaniels maybe tone down some of his shot attempts, Chase, but now he's getting on because he's on the bench. So I wanted to kind of speak to Chase and Dylan and get kind of get your views on what do we do with that rotation spot? Because since he's left the rotation, the, the Hornets defense has been poor. Is that coincidence? Hard to tell with the sample size at the moment. But Dylan, what are your kind of like gut reactions? If McDaniels is going to be out two to six weeks here, what would your approach be? Who are you hoping to see playing time? Yeah, I think there's two really different approaches that you could take with, you know, Jalen McDaniels being out of the rotation. The first would be to just shorten it and have like an eight, nine-man rotation most nights. And that's that's cool in theory, but you're losing a lot of length when you do that. So I think the other approach that I like uh, more in particular because – you get to see more of like these young guys play is maybe you give JT Thor some minutes game to game. And he's really impressed uh, in the minutes that I've seen, even though it's been, you know, a few minutes here and there, but uh, I mean, he's looked pretty solid, especially defensively. You know, he's pretty athletic and hit the occasional three point shot. So maybe that's a guy that you look to give, you know, 10 minutes a game to while, while McDaniels is out. But if not, I wouldn't necessarily expect the Hornets to, to go to anybody else just because I don't know how they're going to be able to replicate that length. Kai Jones certainly isn't ready. So maybe they just roll with an eight man rotation, but I would like to see some JT Thor minutes. And it's, it's interesting so far because in the two games, JT Thor's got no light rotation burn yet. I think it was obviously kind of buck night, kind of, even though it's in a position like position replacement for McDaniels kind of, 
seemed to absorb a lot of rotation minutes in the Toronto game. And then before that, it kind of seemed like, like Cody Martin and Oubre kind of absorbed those minutes together. Like you said, shorten the rotation a little bit. Ish Smith got some minutes at some point. So it's interesting because I had JT Thor down as well as who I wanted to see. And I thought I was going to be the, the odd one out here. Um, but in, in terms of like what the team has been lacking the last two games, the defense, JT Thor is the only guy, I think, not in the rotation who can bring in that defensive presence, be a presence around the rim, help with the rebounding, play physical. You're, you're obviously, your offense isn't going to be as good with, with kind of the other options. But I, I agree with you. I think JT is someone I would like to see. Chase, what are your thoughts? I, I agree as well. I think, I mean, it definitely makes the most sense, like going, Ooh. just replacing the length with more length. And I don't, I mean, I you, I don't think you would keep JT in the rotation like permanently for the rest of the year or anything like that. But I think if you're just looking for someone that's going to give you the same kind of defensive activity and like theoretical floor spacing, if he can eventually start knocking them down, because he does, JT looks pretty comfortable offensively, but the results just like haven't been there yet. Like he just hasn't made all that many shots in the minutes that he's been playing, but he's, a, he's not afraid to take them, which is a good thing. And obviously he's got tons of length and versatility. He can defend both front court spots and the three a little bit, but I, I mean, book Knight's done pretty well as well. He played really well against the Raptors. So, I mean, I, I get Borrego's, he probably, I think he just probably wants to get book Knight the minutes first, I guess, because he did JT got those rotation minutes when the team was going through the COVID spell earlier and he obviously played well, but so did book night. And I feel like as you know, the guy that has a little more, the team has a little more stock in, it kind of makes sense to play him. And I mean, he scored 18 points against the Raptors on pretty good efficiency, five of five from the line. So he's definitely shown you something offensively. And I mean, they have, they've taken a fair step forward defensively as a team. So I think it's fair to, you know, at least give book night a shot, even though he's not, kind of come in and replace the defense that you're losing with McDaniels. But I mean, I guess over the last two losses that they had, the defense has kind of taken steps back to <laughs> replace the ones that they took forward. So we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. It's just interesting so far how I, I did not expect us all to be on the JT Thor needs that rotation spot point of view. I, I definitely thought someone will be saying, but Knight, especially after his strong game, I, I wonder if, Brago might approach this in a matchup way. Okay, so you play against the Toronto Raptors where they didn't really have a center the night. Precious Achua is like an undersized big. Um, you've got uh, Boucher, who's again an undersized big. You haven't got like the Embiid, Jokic, Zubat types. I, I, I wonder if going against those kind of teams with big bruising inside presence, he might go someone like JT Thor, but against these like downsized units, again, the Hawks, they've got Capella, but in that backup unit, it's Okongwu, who's like, what, six foot eight, something like that, plays bigger. But I wonder if he just kind of goes with his gut and his feel and how's the matchup going? Like, again, Buck Knight really seems like a confidence, confidence player so far. He's had like two really good games this year, one being that Toronto one, one being the other one where he hit like five threes. Um, and then in the most of the time when he's got, playing time at the times so is kind of underwhelmed a little bit. So you normally seem to be able to get a sense of what you're going to get from Buck Knight after like seeing the, the first quarter or the first five minutes. And I, I wonder if he just goes a little bit trial and error and kind of works out what, what works for the team and what doesn't, which I also understand him kind of doing a little bit of experimentation right now. Yeah, I think, uh, I think JT Thor, 
uh, is just somebody that, you know, it, it's kind of similar to Kai Jones, but not necessarily to the same degree, because I think that JT Thor does have like the skills to play right now. But I, I like what you said with, you know, the matchups. And I think that it will come down to a lot of who the Hornets are going to have to play and, and whether they can, can bring in a, like a certain type of player, whether it's book night, whether it's uh, JT Thor, whether it's one of the other like young guys to, to sort of match up with the, with the other team, whether it be, with size or with shooting or, or what, but I'm, I'm interested to see how James Borrego plays it. Um, I saw a lot of people complaining on Twitter about the rotation last night. I don't necessarily get that just because, you know, they were just so shorthanded and I mean, on the fly, PJ Washington gets ejected. Uh, they, they didn't have Gordon Hayward, obviously. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how James Borrego approaches it, but I think it will, I think it'll be book night probably most most of the time, but I would like to see JT Thor get at least some burn. So a little bit of breaking news here. Both of them might be getting some burn soon because Gordon Hayward just entered health and safety protocols at 5.15 p.m. on Wednesday as we are recording this. So regardless of whether or not he was going to come back from that ankle injury or (laughs) foot or I think it was foot discomfort was what it was called. But now he will miss at least probably a couple more games. Beyond five the, days uh, now, isn't it? Five yeah, days so. if you're vaccinated. So if that's today, he'll miss. I mean, they're playing on a back-to-back, so you might not miss too many games. I need to get the one yeah. schedule. Might, might only be uh, – they play uh, both Los Angeles teams on the 28th and 30th at home. I imagine that he would only miss the both of those games or something, but we will have to see. But I mean, but now I'm, I'd be surprised if both Book Knight and Thor – will probably end up getting a fair amount of burn. Do you, do you guys think well, that that would be the case? Or do you, I, I or do you think he'll, do. Yeah, because J, JB hasn't been uh, like willing to extend yeah. the rotation too much this year. Th- those two have been missing the last two games, and Thor has logged zero minutes so far. Now, again, we, like we said, it might change if it's matchup dependent, but um, it'll, that'll definitely be interesting to see. Uh, PJ, he'll be back. He's not got suspended. I've not seen anywhere for his ejection. Um, so he should be back for the game. Um, but definitely going to be Charlotte on the wings. But like I said, I think Book Knight definitely going to get some extended run now because the second unit for Charlotte, I think we're ranked 17th in, in bench points at the moment. At times, like, even though the, de- the defense has been good for like the last, well, apart from the last two games, but before that, it was on like a good run of an eight game stretch. Our scoring had really gone down, and that second unit seemed to struggle to score. And Book Knight definitely brings more of that from Thor. You know, Thor's not going to do anything that you don't give him. Like he, he's not going to be creating an advantage situation for you. He's just going to be taking advantage and needs those guys to break it down. So um, interesting breaking news, I guess. Look, the good, the good news is he gets through five days to rest that foot. If it's bothering him, he hopefully can come back, but Haywood, did he go, he went to safety protocols in training camp in preseason didn't he and he didn't go into it when the rest of the team went in earlier in the season is that right uh, yeah i think him and plumley went in in like training camp preseason plumley went range. in again during yeah. season but haywood didn't yeah i think so yeah so now i think the only player players that haven't been in protocols are book knight and jt thor i think on the team yeah, I think you are correct. The last, the last two that are left, that are left standing. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, that yeah, I mean that that's 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 unfortunate because the yeah. the offense has been pretty terrible without him. Uh, but and that that's maybe we'll just see more book night as a result because he has been playing well offensively. But 
We'll take a quick break here and then we'll be back on the other side of the ad break to discuss. Uh, we're going to discuss a Ben Simmons trade rumor. We'll talk about all the other trade rumors that are floating around the Hornets. And we're each going to give our trade deadline outlook on the Hornets roster, who's most likely to be moved, which whether or not the Hornets are going to part with more draft picks and just a general look ahead at the, t- at the season after the February 10th trade deadline. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome back. We're here to discuss first the Ben Simmons trade rumor that was floating around the internet earlier this week. It was reported by Shams Tarania and Sam Amick of The Athletic. But really, the originator of this rumor is sitting here with us, is Dylan. He has been tweeting about Ben Simmons to the Hornets for it's got to be like at least a, like a calendar year by now, right? Since basically since they since the Ben Simmons rumor started, you, you were immediately on the train. And now it's coming yeah, to so, fruition. Yeah, I mean, the, the rumors came out that Ben Simmons uh, wasn't wasn't happy. Was, you know, the coming weeks after they lost that playoff series to Atlanta, and uh, you, you know, I started writing about it because who doesn't want Ben Simmons? And um, yeah, I mean, that that really picked up. Uh, I, I wrote a lot about it right before the draft happened. Uh, since then, um, my my opinions have changed a little bit. Uh, but I mean, the Hornets are still, I think, an interesting possible landing spot, although I'm not sure if the price will, will quite be there for Ben Simmons. But in theory, I think it works well. So the, the report in exact wording in the Sam Amick and Sham Sharania article was the Charlotte Hornets have been among new teams placing a Simmons inquiry to the 76ers. But there's been nothing substantive, sources said. In return for Simmons, the 76ers have wanted a top level all-star or a package featuring a bevy of first round picks. So the Hornets don't really have that top-level all-star to give back. They do have the first-round pick, so I think Dylan's right that the price is probably not there to be met. But, I mean, I think well, it's it's certainly – you could put it into the trade machine and think of many ways to make it work, I think, for sure. Well, so I have put it in the trade machine, and I I have looked how it work. And the first thing I want to say, you, you skipped over that and said, you know, Charlotte don't really have that many kind of all-star caliber players. I, I want to – I want to throw something at you both, right? In terms of who would Philly be interested in from the Hornets? So if, if I wanted to call them up, who would Philly asking about? Firstly, question for you both. Would Philly be interested in LaMelo Ball? Yeah, I would yeah. imagine yeah, they, so. They, they yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think right. that, that, yeah, that might yeah. be the starting point. That's one. Would Philly be interested in Miles Bridges? Yes. yes. Okay, that's two. Would they be interested in Gordon Hayward? Possibly. Yeah. 
Maybe. Debatable. Maybe. Debatable, yeah. Would they be interested in Terry Rozier? I would like to think so. Yeah. Okay. So you say there that Charlotte don't have anyone they'd be interested in. I think you've got three and a half or two and a half players. Like, Lamelo is obviously off the table, right? Yeah, Miles probably too. Let's say the Hornets are going into this offseason for some reason and are panicking about paying Miles Bridges. Not that Ben Simmons is saving them any money whatsoever because he's making 33 million per year for like the next, what, four years or three years after this one. But let's say they are. Like, that, that is a route. Like, it's rumored they wanted Jeremy Grant. I think Miles Bridges is a better player than Jeremy Grant. I think Gordon Hayward is probably different type of player, but around a similar equivalent level. That might be a bit bit harsh on Jeremy Grant. But and then Terro's here in terms of like a outside scorer, ball handler, a little bit of a skill overlap with Tyrese Maxey, but I I could definitely see them playing together. Terry's proven that he can play both on and off ball. Um I, I do think there are players there. Now the problem you've got is just contract status. There is no way you can do a a Miles Bridges or Lamella Ball trade, really, unless you're getting really creative. And even with like a Terra Rosier trade, you'd have to throw in like Rosier and Mason Plumley for the salaries to work direct, which I think then you're talking about giving up two starters for a guy you've not seen play in a while and you just made your weak center position even weaker. And if you're punting this year, fine, but I don't think Michael Jordan is punting the year where we're sitting in the sixth seed. Like he's he's not just playing the big picture here. He wants to try and make the playoffs. So I, I do think there are some options, but the, the Hayward is the obvious easiest match just from salary terms because you can trade him straight up. You can do Hayward plus PJ. You can do Hayward plus picks. You can do whatever you want, really, with Gordon Hayward. Now, the question is, and this will be an interesting one for you, Dylan, I think the Hornets are now like, is it zero and nine for the last type of games that Hayward has missed now? By getting rid of Gordon Hayward, you get rid of your best half-court offensive player. You replace him with probably one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA and another open court creator like slasher. Is that buy-off worth it? So I think with the, the Ben Simmons thing, for me at least, is you're getting a young all-star caliber player with several years left on his contract. I think with Gordon Hayward, you have to sort of expect some some regression, uh, at least somewhere in the near future. And that's not to say that, that Ben Simmons is going to be the same player that he was in Philadelphia because, I mean, he, he's taking up however long this break is going to be. But I do think that it's safe to, to necessarily bet on his future over Gordon Hayward's future. Um, I like part of the reason my opinion has changed on a Ben Simmons trade is because all of the, the, the basically the, the appreciation of the assets that the Hornets have, you know, Miles Bridges has turned into like a borderline all-star, like he's ninth or, or 10th in the East uh, for all-star voting for among fans. So I think that, you know, if those two, uh, if Bridges and Lamella Ball are off the table for a Ben Simmons trade, you can't trade Terry Rozier because of the salary uh, CBA rules because he signed a contract extension pretty recently. Uh, Gordon Hayward has a trade kicker that I'm not necessarily sure that Michael Jordan is going to be totally interested in paying. And apart from that, I mean, you've got a ton of young guys, but in terms of picks to aggregate, you can't really do anything until it's like after 2024, which is when the Knicks pick uh, those protections 
I think loosen up a little bit. I think that's when they're allowed to start trading picks again. So in terms of making something happen, uh, I'm, I'm just not sure that the Hornets have the firepower that they would necessarily be willing to move because I mean, there's a lot of guys that just aren't on the table and the guys that are maybe Philly isn't as interested in, but to, to answer like your question a little bit more is uh, Hayward versus Simmons. I think that Simmons would have to have something of a different role than he had in Philadelphia. Like maybe you're asking him to, to be like a, a small ball center. Like he's six ten. Maybe he's uh, he t- takes on a very different role offensively. Like maybe he's, you know, more of an elbow creator in the half court. Maybe he's uh, setting screens, rolling to the rim. The Hornets have that in Mason Plumlee, but I think if you get a hyper-athletic version of that, it's probably going to help you in the half court. Again, that's not to say that, you know, that's better than what Gordon Hayward does, but in terms of the upgrade defensively, it, it's probably worth it. But um, I'm just not sure that the Hornets have the pieces to make a trade happen. Yeah, I, I just checked. Terry Rozier can be traded after the 30th of January this year. So the, you're right. He, he wasn't able to be traded because of that extension. But that does lift soon. So it does give you some flex. Now, again, I, he's having a, been having a really good season after his slow start up until recently. And, and like you, it's crazy. I'm actually on... Uh, Fanspo, where you can go on like the, the trade machine and cap manager and Mason Plumley and Ben Simmons, they have like two words to describe each player. And they both have the st- same description as roll and cut big, which is amazing <laughs> to think that Mason Plumley and Ben Simmons are described the same way. But you're right, like in terms of their role, it, it kind of would be similar. I guess just just think defensively though. Can you imagine Lamelo Ball being like your start, your smallest player in your starting team? It would be very, very like, Bucks-esque when they went through that period of just trying to get full length everywhere. Um, It's the one, like, you look at other ways, how can you try and help shore up this defense? And that's just one way which it makes so much sense. But what what do you think's changed? I think that that quote you read out, Chase, I think it said the Charlotte Hornets are one of the new teams to play to call. Is that, is that, was that the correct wording? Yeah. So what what do we think's changed here? Why, why are we, why the team making inquiry now as opposed to maybe in the offseason when a lot of other teams are involved in discussions. Is it because the Hornets have furthered the standings? There's a little bit more, let's push our chips into the middle here. Is it because the asking price is coming down? What, what do we think it is? What's changed? I think it could be all of those things and that just the, the Simmons thing has been going on for so long that so many of the rumored, like we've known that, you know, the Kings or the Pacers or something are a destination for a very long time. Maybe it could just be like a, like a sources game and just being like, Oh, put Charlotte's name out there. See if that, you know, makes anybody call and ask about be like, Oh, what did Charlotte offer you? We'll offer you this instead. And, but I mean, it could could be true. I I have no idea. I, I, I would just, I would be surprised if it was like any sort of serious inquiry or anything just because Mitch it, like Mitch just doesn't seem to be a guy that does that type of thing at like in season like I could I could not picture him like remaking the roster in mid-February and then kind of giving James Borrego like two and a half months to figure it out before the playoffs but I mean if it drags out to the offseason I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of like resurfaces as the Hornets being a at least like a potential destination or a trade partner for them even if, if it ends up being a three-team deal the hornets would probably get involved on something like that i mean mitch has been willing to get involved on 
the you know complicated trades in the last couple off seasons. But yeah, well, we'll, we'll I, we, I'm not. I don't know if it would be if it's like being brought up because Mitch is like working the phones for Ben Simmons right now necessarily. I feel like they're just running out of options for from the Sixers perspective of being like, oh, this team called. It's like, yeah, they called you nine months ago when this first started. And, you know, now, now everything has just been played out to the point where like all everyone's cards are on the table, basically. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I do think there's probably an element of people don't want to keep reading about the Kings and the Pacers. So let's throw a new team in there who's been playing kind of well recently and, you know, Ben Simmons would make sense. And like, I completely agree with Dylan. If Ben Simmons were to come here, he'd have to play a different role. And the the things we've heard out of the Ben Simmons camp is he wants to be more featured in offense. You know, he wants to kind of like lead his team, which is strange for someone who refuses to shoot and like wouldn't take layups <laughs> in the playoffs last year. But that's like that's what he wants. And Charlotte is not that environment. Everyone has the option to eat here, you are not going to come and do what Jeremy Grant did in Detroit where you get as many shots as you want because you're in Charlotte. We're we're not at that stage. Maybe two years ago, Ben Simmons would have been able to come and pretty much run the show, but it's that's just not the way anymore. So who who knows if he would even have interest in that. And we've seen if he's not willing to apply himself, then he's just not going to play. All right. We'll, we'll wrap that segment up. We'll move on to the trade deadline outlook on the Hornets roster. So each of us gathered the players that we think are most likely to be moved, uh, whether or not we think the Hornets will be willing to part with more future draft picks after Mitch traded the Knicks pick there, or the pick that went to the Knicks originally that now belongs to Atlanta that we mentioned a couple times in this episode. And then we're going to just take a look ahead at the offseason, uh, like the likely cap space we have and the players that are going to be up for a new contract and how we might think that that affects the deadline. So who wants to start Dylan? You want, you want to kick us off here? Uh, you want to, we could, we can just start with who we think is the the most likely yeah. player to be moved. Who's everyone's uh, number the, one. Who's deadline. everyone's most likely guy. Uh, I know that everybody wants Mason Plumley to be traded, but <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that, that he's most likely to be moved. Uh, there, there's really two players that come to mind. Number one is PJ Washington, who's going to be extension eligible this offseason. I think that he he's a really, really good player. He's very inconsistent, but his role is something that most NBA teams want. And I think he makes sense for the future of Charlotte. I'm not sure if his contract uh, in the coming years is going to make sense for the team, though. And I think that is what might spur a trade for the Charlotte Hornets. I'm just like, I'm not sure what they would trade PJ Washington for if they're trying to get rid of potential future money. Um, there's like, maybe maybe they like try and get picks instead, but then you're like losing a rotation player, um, like a, a solid, like good rotation player in the middle of a playoff push. So that wouldn't really make much sense to me. Maybe they aggregate PJ Washington in a larger trade, like maybe they move him and salary for like, an actual quality center. I think that's the one that most people are sort of looking at as a possible deal for the Charlotte Hornets. One of the uh, the players that I don't think gets gets talked about here that like I can't get it out the back of my mind is is Cody Martin, who's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. Now, that's not me saying I think Cody Martin's going to get traded. I think that there's a possibility. And I mean, it's kind of unfair to say that because there's a possibility anybody could get traded, but Cody Martin is a, a restricted free agent and 
the Hornets are going to be really close to the luxury tax after a Miles Bridges extension. So if the Hornets really don't want to like pay that money, uh, maybe they look to uh, get something in return for Cody Martin, even though he is like your best perimeter defender, your best overall defender this season. It would be kind of an unfortunate trade, but it's something that I could see Michael Jordan uh, green lighting. Pedro is my number one, too. I think he's the, the more most likely. I know it's been reported as well out there by a couple of semi-reliable sources. Was it, was he number your number one, too, Chase? No. I, oh, really? <clears throat> no, my, my number one's Kelly Oubre. Wow. Kelly Oubre. Everyone's sixth man of the year, like top three vote-getter right now. You want him gone? I, no, no, no. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want him gone. But I do think that, like, him making $12 million – uh, that's like a very tradable salary matches up with players that can actually like give you an impact. And l- like Dylan said, like trading PJ and Ubre is kind of, the, or PJ and Plumley with, cause those are the only two guys with reasonable salaries outside of Terry Hayward and Lamella and Bridges. Like that's kind of the only way you can trade PJ. And like, I feel like that in a way makes Kelly Ubre more likely to be dealt. And just for the fact that, like if it, uh, Kelly's been playing super well, his contract is partially guaranteed for next year. It's not even an expensive contract anyway. Like even if a team wants to keep him and then, you know, kind of have the same process at this deadline next year and be like, Oh, are we going to trade him? Or are we going <clears> to <throat> extend him to another like team friendly deal? But I feel like he, he might be the one that teams are like calling for the most. Cause if I, if the Hornets aren't eager to pay PJ, like, I mean, not that they wouldn't be for like skill reasons, but like it's not like there are a ton of teams across the NBA that are just like have boatloads of cap space coming up. So I, I feel like any team that's trading for PJ is kind of <clears throat> kind of going to have to be like, uh, we might not end up paying this guy, which kind of might turn people off. But Kelly, you can cut ties with him. You can keep him into next season. And both of them, neither of them affect your team all that much because it's a low salary and partial guarantee. Hmm, interesting. I, I, I guess the thing that hurts Kelly Oubre is that McDaniels injury. I think maybe if McDaniels is playing well, if Butt Knight starts to show some form, you think, hmm, can we, you know, can we replace what we get from Kelly out of those two? But I mean, he's been he's been so big for the bench this year. He's obviously good Gordon Hayward cover. We're seeing the need of that now with this with this lingering foot issue and the COVID protocols. But I do understand what you mean. Like, and I also think there's an element of like, Kelly's had probably a better first half of the season than any of us could have hoped for offensively, yeah, I should definitely. say. I think defensively has been actually a little bit disappointing. But I definitely feel like you can strike while the iron is hot because he is a streaky player and the shots he takes, he's always going to be a streaky player. And you've seen it in the last two or three games now since he came back from COVID protocol. He's, he's been struggling a little bit. And if he is a half season, the second half of the season playing like that, he's going to go from having trade value to having zero trade value. So I I know what you mean. There is flexibility there with that contract of his. It's a good movable number. Um, It's an interesting one. I thought we would all have PJ Washington as our number one guy. I feel like he, I feel like he has just been like the potential for him to be traded has, it's been kind of happening for a while. And if I feel like if the Hornets were really committed to it, they might've done it in the summer. Or like okay. last summer, I mean, or or, you, or this coming summer, I mean, just because it's you easier have, to rebuild your rotation that way. Did you have PJ number two? 
I mean, I'd probably put Plumlee second and then PJ, honestly. I just I also just think that if the Hornets aren't trading for picks, they're trading for like impact players that can help them win now. And there aren't that many of those players that are making $4 million. They make like $8 million, $12 million. And that like, you can put Plumlee and like Vernon Carey in a second round pick or something and maybe trade for like Jakob Pertl or whoever, like someone that just gives you like a slight boost in areas of need. I feel like it, it, PJ, PJ is just the least likely of to be put in a trade like that for me because he only makes $4 million and has an extension or is extension eligible this summer. I get that. I get that. No, I, I understand what you mean from a salary structure point of view. And you're right. The more proven players obviously have larger salaries to make some more movable. How about Dylan? Who was your, did you have like a number? You said who you had Cody Martin. Did you have your number two? Or yeah, was I had, just... uh, Cody Martin number two. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just, just the way that, you know, his contract is coming up and yeah. expiring this off season. So I think that there's a possibility that the Hornets kind of, kind of look forward to maybe not, looking towards a, a sign-in trade like they did with Devonte Grant, but kind of preemptively uh, getting rid of that potential future contract. I think it's going to be worth at least the full MLE this offseason. So if they don't think that they can stay under the luxury tax, like at this stage between him, Miles Bridges, and whoever else they have uh, getting big money this coming offseason, I think they'll, they'll at least entertain the idea of trading him. Yeah, it's interesting, especially when you just drafted Buck Knight, who I know Cody can play really one through three, but it, you just drafted a very high lottery pick right behind his position. He's going to become expensive. Cody's one of those great players that when he costs as much as he does, he's a little bit like Reggie Bullock on the Knicks last year. When he costs nothing, you're like, oh, this guy's great. Like he embodies the team and everything. But then when he gets paid, and like you saw it with the Mavs who paid Reggie Bullock, like the MLE. And now you're like, wow, you're paying a guy, you know, $10 million or so, and he's just not that skilled. And if, like, if his shot falls off, like Reggie Bullock shots fall off or Cody Martin shot falls off, he he goes from being, like, a, a very good rotation player to borderline starter to just being, like, a defensive energy guy, which, which you're paying a lot for. So I do get it. I think just because of what this team needs – I feel like he's more likely to stay because without him, I just don't know how the team's going to guard anyone unless they make some serious moves. For my number two, I had someone who neither of you two mentioned, which is Vernon Carey Jr., who I just think we like often forget about <laughs> because he doesn't seem to play for the Swarm or the Hornets anymore. He just like <laughs> lingers on the end of the bench with like this like uh, monosonic face just not reacting to anything I feel like the Vernon Carey ship is sailing uh, Nick Richards is obviously ahead of him in the rotation I think Kai Jones fits more what this team needs I just don't see where Vernon Carey is going to get this opportunity anytime soon um, so I, I'm, this is obviously like a low level move but Vernon Carey is not just guaranteed for this year but he's guaranteed for next year as well so we're talking about like a dead roster spot hurting with with salary i know it's not a lot but it's guaranteed money it just gives you a little bit more flexibility if you can try and move on from him and there might be a, a detroit and okc who would be interested in one of those kind of second draft guys so here's who i had and i think that that discussion i mean well firstly like vernon carey would both of you be happy to to move on from him as long as you're not having to give up something to do it um i i honestly think that they would 
be like more likely to cut him or waive him mm. uh, than trade him at this point. Uh, maybe like do one of those uh, the wave and stretch provision. I'm not sure if they're like allowed to do that after the Batum thing, but maybe they like look to uh, like scatter the money across. But he's just he's really like not worth a roster spot if we're being completely honest. Like no. he's just not that married. He, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's what our fourth fifth center. So I mean. He's just, in a league where you it, don't need four or five centers, really. Especially especially his his archetype of player, right? Yeah. Like, he can't defend in space or really at the rim. Can't uh, shoot. He's shooting. He can't shoot. So he's just Tens like this big over. guy. Yeah, just this big guy that scores inside. I mean, there was a game that he uh, – did he start this year? That, that game that he mm-hmm. started, right, a couple months ago? Like, if he didn't play those first however many minutes, the Hornets would have won by, like, a significantly better margin than they did. So – He's just I, I'm I'm not sold on him on really the Hornets or any other NBA team, which is unfortunate to say, but it's it's uh, it's a sad reality. I remember right. Sorry, I remember right after that game, we recorded a podcast, and I was like, "Yeah, that was crazy that Vernon Carey started. That might have been like his last stand as a member of the Hornets, and like that was Borrego being like, you can show us something right now, but if you don't, you're probably not getting off that bench unless we're up by 30 or down by 30 in the last five minutes. And that's kind of what's happened because he didn't really take advantage of it. And it's unfortunate because like like you said, it's not like his fault necessarily. Like that type of big man is just not something the Hornets especially or really that many NBA teams need. Uh, we, we I feel like it's harder, like more easier to forget this because LaMelo was so good right away. But that rookie season that the 2020 class had was absurdly difficult going from being drafted to playing in the NBA in like less than a month. I mean, LaMelo is an extremely talented player and transcends any type of, you know, situation that you can throw at him like that. But most players are not. And, you know, for a, a big man that needed a lot of development, that was not a very good situation. So hopefully, I mean, whether it's like him just going and playing in Greensboro a lot for the rest of the year or like getting traded or whatever. I mean, he can hopefully he can do something, get get on the court and, you know, get another chance to prove himself. But we always said when they traded for both Rick, for the picks yes. like Richards and Kerry, they were never selecting both of those guys to be like, this is our, you know, center rotation of the future. They were taking two swings on two guys. And I think we said after that draft chase, we were like, you hope one of them comes off. You hope one of them is a rotation player. And Nick Richards has probably shown more to this point. You can see in theory, he's more of what the Hornets would need. He's obviously ahead in depth chart. Like the Hornets have been pretty bad defensively when Richards had played and he's still got a ways to go. But I think at this point, you you know which one you probably want to invest in for this team and this roster going forward. Um, so yeah, I think Vernon Curry is my next guy. And I guess this, this takes us into the kind of bit of a, the off-season outlook. And I know we've kind of touched on it there with various guys and contracts. And I've done a little bit of kind of going through the salary, looking at how it's going to work. So I'm just going to lay the land and then I want to get your input on it. So if we were to bring back the exact same team next year, minus Ish Smith, okay? So that's 14 guys and that's include Vernon Carey who's got guaranteed money. That includes re-signing Miles Bridges, including his cap hold, um, re-signing Cody Martin with his cap hold. Our salaries would be about 130K in salary. The cap would be 119K. So you're, you're 11K over the cap straight away. No cap space. You've got the non-taxpayer MLE. The tax is 144K. So you're a good wedge short of the tax. You don't have to worry about that too much. But you're right in that 
kind of where a lot of NBA teams find themselves above the cap, below the tax. Going forward another year, okay, this is where a, a Miles Plumley extension, I factored in, I factored it in at around 32 million per year, a little bit less than his max, which is around 35. Um, I put down Cody Martin for now as the full taxpayer MLE, which is kind of what Dylan said earlier. We, if we bring back essentially the same team again, but you minus Nick Richards, minus PJ, minus Ish Smith, and minus Mason Plumley. So four, well, of, of those guys, you've got two rotation players in PJ and Plumley. You're at 137K, right? So all of a sudden there, you need to fill out the roster with four more roster spots, and you are only, what, 7K short of the tax line. So that's when we talk about why we need to trade or create some salary. Like you talked about with Cody Martin, Dylan. I was talking about with PJ Washington as well. It's for that reason, because we're going to reach the crunch once that Miles Plumley, you've got Plumley, uh, sorry, Miles, Miles Plumley, uh, <laughs> Miles Bridges extension at 32 million. You've got the Terry Rozier, who's going to be in the mid 20s, low to mid 20s, Gordon Hayward around 30. Lamelli boy, you've got coming down the road. This young team is going to get expensive pretty quickly after this summer. And that's that's why I think we talk about making some of these moves. So kind of any anything you take away from, from that, hearing that, is anything stand out to you? Or is that kind of what you're feeling unexpected? Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what I what I expected. Um yeah, I mean, you just have to kind of kind of look at it like uh, before it all happens. Like you have to expect your players to get paid if if they're so successful. And if you look at sort of a uh, Lamelo Ball and Miles Bridges sort of core with a, a surrounding cast of say Terry Rozier and some of the other guys on the roster, yeah, I mean that's that's already like between Rozier Ball and like Miles Bridges in like 2023, that's probably like 90 million dollars between the three of them. So. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they necessarily maneuver under that salary, uh, that, that tax level, um, or, or really how like willing Michael Jordan is going to be to sort of even pay that. Uh, because, you know, if the team is, you know, so successful, maybe he's going to be more willing to pay a little bit of extra money to keep them together. Uh, we haven't seen that in the past, but at the same time, uh, the Hornets and or Bobcats haven't really had the success to justify paying that number that is the question i don't think it's necessarily because like like you said like if you want if you want to develop good players like eventually they're gonna have to make money like you can't play on a rookie scale contract for eight years if you want to be good you have to spend money in sports it's like there's no tampa bay rays in the nba you cannot have a minimum payroll and make the nba finals like eventually they just have, they have to go over the tax line at some point. Like it's just an, it's an inevitability. If you want to keep like mellow miles, Rozier, PJ, Cody Martin, Hayward, like Kai Jones book night, like any combination of these players, like you have, to, you basically have to like it. I, I would be in, I would, I don't have no idea like how you would look this up or anything, but I'd be interested to see like in recent history, the NBA champions or like the finals matchups. If any of those teams were below the tax line or really even close to it. Cause I feel like that's probably not the case. And the Hornets are already like not even close to paying tax and they're a six seed. So 
I feel like if you go over it, there's a pretty strong argument in like keeping the players you have and continuing to development, develop them, that you'd be like one of the top four teams in the East. And at that point, if, I mean, ownership isn't willing to pay for that, then, you know, that that's kind of where the, that's just kind of the end of the discussion. But I mean, we would have to, we will have to see. I think that is the biggest question of anything is whether or not ownership is willing to go into the luxury tax line at all, like in the future, not necessarily like who is going to do it, when are they going to do it? Because it's just, it, it's an inevitability if they're going to keep developing good players, which I think is probably the goal. Well, the reporting over the years in Charlotte, and when you've heard MJ interviewed, he's been pretty clear. He oh, will yeah. pay the tax for a contender. What what now? Define what is a contender. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I I think it's pretty clear that both Kupchak, Borrego, you hear about the goal. What's the goal? To win a playoff series. That is the goal. Like that's their title right now. I know that's sad and pathetic to some franchises, but it's Charlotte Hornets. That yeah, is their that is their mega bowl moment. And I do not think Jordan will consider paying the tax until this team wins at least a playoff series. Because at that point, you are confirming you are a, a top four team in the East if you get through round one. And I think that's the key thing. And I think he's probably, I, I, my guess would be, he's probably spoken to the director, uh, whatever his role is, Larry Jordan, who's, you know, his family member who has a key role in player personnel, Mitch Kupchak, Buzz Peterson saying, you guys win a playoff series, come back and talk to me about paying the tax. But I am not doing that until that moment. And I actually think that's, pretty standard and fair. Now, if they win a playoff series and they're making tax cutting moves, like then, then obviously I think we can come back and we start asking some serious questions. But until that point, I, I think that's the tipping point. Yeah. And I, I want to add to this. It's, it's not like you're necessarily asking Michael Jordan to do like a golden state level of uh, tax yeah, paying because I mean, th- th- there was a move that they made, this past offseason, oh, yeah. they, they traded, uh, I think it was Amari Spellman, who makes like a million dollars a year. And by getting off of his contract, the Golden State Warriors saved like 12 to like $15 million in, in uh, tax money that they didn't have to pay. And the Hornets are probably never going to be at that level of, of salary tax or like repeater uh, clauses. I, I, I'm not like 100% certain how it works. I like know that the, the kind of like general uh, how, how the salary tax works. But, you know, you do want to get to a point where you can spend maybe like five, $10 million more than what the tax, uh, you know, permits. So whether Michael Jordan does that, it's, it's totally up to the team and, you know, their success. But uh, we, we will find out in probably the next two to three years whether that actually happens. Yeah, and there is no relief for people thinking out there, well, when Gordon Hayward expires, because as soon as Gordon Hayward expires, the Mellow Ball's max contract will kick in. So essentially, they, he will just replace Gordon Hayward's salary slot. And one, one interesting thing, I haven't mentioned this before, but it's always worth remembering, is the CBA will be changing the year that uh, Lamelo Ball is eligible for a, a contract upgrade, which is interesting because we started to see um, a little bit of pushback, I think, on where players kind of have to give their player a max, but then are hamstrung by that situation and have no flexibility for years going forward. And there's been talk about 
well, can max guys, you pay them the max, but only 75% of it counts towards the cap or something like that. So there's there's potentially some hope there that that Lamelo contract might not be as financially restraining as it is for most rookie match, ex- match extensions, max extensions. Do you think that the, um, they're likely at all to remove the protections on the pick that they have, um, which is owed, <clears throat> originally they traded to New York, but is now owed to Atlanta so they can trade future picks. I protected top 18 in 2022. So essentially for the Hornets. They had to know what they were doing, right? They had, they had to, to, yeah. They had to know that that was going to prevent them. them. Yeah. So all I can think of is that when they made that trade, they know they want to keep their first round picks to keep. And that's how they fill out the roster is by developing Jalen McDaniels, Cody Martin types with, with picks. I don't know. Dylan, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think they'd tra- change them? Um, it depends. Uh, I think that a uh, deal with Atlanta, like if, if they were to complete a trade together, I think that that's probably one of the things that it would, would do. Mm. Um, whether, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not sure whether the Hornets or, or even the Hawks would want that pick to convey this year. Um, I, I'm just, it, it's a weird situation all around. The The Kai Jones I don't know. It was like it was in the middle of draft night, so maybe that like got the best of them. But I mean, who knows? It's it's uh, an interesting situation for sure. I would. I mean, hopefully the Hornets are able to do something to where that pick conveys now, so that that trade. Uh, so that I mean, so that they're able to trade future picks. But um, if not, then they'll have to wait till draft night every year to move that pick if they end up trading it. So. Mm. All right. I know. I think that was a good discussion. I, I know. People probably wanted us to talk about Yusuf Nurkic and, you know, Rashawn Holmes, other trade targets. I, I think we've talked a lot about other think, other teams yeah. and guys so far. I think, I we think just we've got everybody. Like yeah. We got Turner, Christian Wood, Rashawn Holmes, and Nurkic, I think. We, we discussed all of them. And now Ben Simmons. So basically yeah. all, all five of the the – big man trade targets that are floating yeah. around. We, like, we've, we've there's there's the one of Montrez Harrell or Thomas Bryant from the Wizards. Like one of them is almost guaranteed to get moved. Jakob yeah, eh, Pertle sure. was reportedly available. Uh, that came out a couple of days ago. But I mean, I mean that would be of, nice. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think of Mo Bamba? I, I would love Mo Bamba, but he's there. See, you have to pay. You pay him this summer, right? Or the yep. Magic? He's a right? restricted yeah. free agent. Okay. See, I would I would be into that. It ain't my money, so I'm fine with that. But I because I, I, I think he's really good. But I would I, I that would that would that would surprise me if they were doing that or if they did that. I would say. Yeah, I I definitely be interested. I don't think he's good now. I think with the Hornets development system, he could be. I I think he's got a bit of a professionalism weakness. Like little things I've heard from around the team. You know, reading. Guys who follow the team closely and the Magic, one of the guys, one of the teams that I, I kind of know quite a lot of people who in the media report the games. And there's just a little bit like lack of fire in there, lack of engagement. I mean, I remember when they were like beating the Hornets the other night and he he, he didn't play. I think they were in the middle of like a great run. Uh-oh. And everyone's up cheering because Mobile just did some and like, dude, like where's where's your commitment to your team here? Like and little things like that just make me concerned. So, but in terms of the skill set, 
I mean, he is a as long as well, I think longest wingspan in NBA draft combine history. I was really behind maybe trading for him in the summer. He was one of my top targets. So I would completely be on board with it. Um, I think I think it'd be an interesting target. I got I got one more one more deep cut for you guys. What about Nick Claxton from the Nets? Hmm. He's another one. Does he have to get paid this offseason? I think he Restricted, does. Restricted, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, he's been good when he plays. <laughs> the problem is he's just not been able to stay healthy, which is like when he, yeah, when he's played for the Nets, he's been good. And in college, I think he was at Georgia, I want to say. Is that yes. right? Yeah. He, he had, he actually like played some point guard for them. I remember he like yep, acted as a ball a handler, predator. which is weird because when you watch him in the Nets, he looks like someone who's got zero feel which is bizarre that you see someone in college who normally shows that. Normally when they get to the NBA, they, they embellish that. It gets better. And he seems to have just had the ball completely taken out of his hands. But if we could rediscover some of that, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in Claxton. He would help. It's just, can he stay healthy? And that's the, that's the key thing with him. He's in a long list of health issues since joining the league. Yeah, same. I would. Re- I really like him too. I mean, uh, the ability that he has to protect the rim, block shots, rebound, and also like garden space and move his feet and pick and rolls mm-hmm. is, I mean, that would be very, very good fit. Like just in general in, in any defense, but especially with the Hornets, like playing at the POA with LaMelo and then, you know, being able to drop back and move, cover that large amount of ground and block shots at the rim. They don't really, they don't really have a guy like that. I mean, PJ can do it, but he's six, seven, Nick, Nick Clacton's Nick Claxton is six eleven. So if he's available, that would actually be really that would be a good one because he's not. I mean, him and Mo Bamba are both not making a lot of money right now. No, that maybe that could be something where if either of those teams want to pay PJ and we want to pay Mo Bamba or Nick Claxton just for the terms of having like an actual rim protector instead of like fully leaning into the small ball thing and committing like financially to that, maybe that could maybe that's where that could work out. Because, I mean, the, the money would work out a lot easier that way. Yeah, or if the Nets wanted to try and, like, delay having to pay anyone because you won't have to pay PG till next year, so they could yeah, take PJ. PJ would be really, really good <laughs> on the Nets. I feel I feel like he would be a very, very good fit there. Yeah. Additionally, I think that the Hornets would not just be getting Claxton in that deal. I think they'd be getting possibly one or two more assets Probably. in addition to, to Claxton. Like, maybe, maybe a pick, or I know the Hornets worked out uh, – the UNC big guy, I think it was Sharp. That's his name. They were on Sharp. Uh, they they on worked Sharp. him out twice. I know he hasn't really been getting much time there. I'm not sure if the Nets would be interested in trading him, but maybe the Hornets like are able to like get him in addition to Claxton. Both, you know, that that matches salaries as well. I think PJ is making a little bit more money, like enough to where you'd have to add like another small salary player in there. But uh, yeah, I think that those are those are some interesting interesting deals for sure. There's actually a lot of trade candidates out there this year. Like if if the team don't upgrade at the deadline for the center position, it, it's not because there weren't any options. Let's just put it out. It's not like they couldn't make a deal work. Years past, they've had no salary flexibility, like no salaries to put in trades. They had the issue where I think they had PJ making 4 million and the next cheapest guy was like Cody Zeller on like 12 and a half. There was nothing in between. Uh, or even more than 12 and a half, I want to say. Um, oh, that was when he was making like $15 million or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. That, that was, there was just nothing in that gap there. there. There are so many options now with this team and this roster and guys who've got more value on the Charlotte team. So if he doesn't make an upgrade, it, it's because they've chosen that they do not want to, to put any assets in the table, which would be, which would be interesting. 
Um, Chase, should we move on to our final segment? Yes. I know the listeners haven't gotten any NBA draft talk yet this year. We've held back. The, the wait is over. You, you, got, you guys are in for it now because we're going to round out the show here with a couple minutes of some 22 draft prospect discussion. James, do you want to you wanna lead us off? Yeah, so we just asked each of us to go through and pick a non-lottery pick. We might be getting our hopes up too much here, but a non-lottery pick. Uh, somewhere, someone ranked between like 14 and 25 or so, who, if you could take from college or international basketball right now and put onto this Hornets team, ignoring the injuries, who would it be? Who do you think would be helping this team right now? And this isn't necessarily who do you think the Hornets should draft in June? We're not asking that question. We're asking like, who could you take from the draft pool right now and put onto this team and you think would would play and contribute. So Dylan, you're the guest. I will let you go first. Yeah, uh, the, the first name that comes to mind for me is Mark Williams. Had a dude, mm. just a really solid, really athletic shot blocker. I have some concerns about his uh, offensive game, but if he can at least defend in space and block like one or two shots a game, I think that he could be at least something of a contributor on a team. I mean, it's it's kind of a lot to ask for for a rookie level player to contribute on a team like the Hornets, but I think that he has the the role and stature and frame to be able to do so, uh, at least right now. And you know, he, he plays in the ACC. Uh, some at least solid competition under the ACC is not as strong this year as it has been in the past. But I think that you you obviously have to look for a, a rim protector here. Another one that I, I just want to point out is uh, Nikola Jovic. And I, I just think he's a really fun player. I, I need to watch more of him. But from what I know, he's a little bit more pro ready than uh, some of the other players in this draft class. Mark Williams was, was on my list of consideration. He wasn't, he's probably my number two guy. So on the same wavelength there. Chase, how about you? What are you thinking? All right. So I gathered three because I had to go overboard a little bit. So I'll do them all really quickly. Number one <laughs> is o- O'Shea. Well, I doubt I doubt it's any any of them are overlapping. Number one is O'Shea Baji. Uh, he's improved a ton over the last mm. couple of years at Kansas. Is having a ridiculously hot shooting year. He's at 47% on seven attempts per game. He is athletic. He defends. He plays hard. He plays smart. I mean, there it's. He's just uh, seems like a guy that would be able to be in a rotation. Hunjung Lee from Davidson. Maybe some of our fans or our listeners are familiar with him and are, are Davidson fans because pretty close to Charlotte. Uh, just like a laser beam shooter, he's shot forty four percent last year, forty one percent this year. He moves off ball like Duncan Robinson does, and is a pretty good passer to boot. And then Christian Coloco, who's like Mark Williams, just like a prototypical like rim protecting big dude. Coloco is pretty good in space, averaging five blocks per forty minutes to go with twenty two points. So, I mean, th- those those are my three. I've I've I mean, I, I could sit here and go for a long time because I haven't gotten to talk about a, a ton of draft stuff this year. But those are the three that popped into my head when I you when you, when you will get your chance, time. Chase. I I know one of the one of the pieces of feedback we got in last year's. Uh, on the podcast when we did our seven end of the year was people didn't want to necessarily be hearing about the draft talk during the season, wanted the season to finish. And I completely get that. And I actually think it makes sense because we got like, we were a month out from the draft last year and we were like, I think we've touched on everything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're, we're holding it back this year, but I've, I've stuck to the rules unlike you guys. And I picked one player and mine is a non-college player. And it is Dyson Daniels for the G League uh, Ignite. 
Um, for those who don't know, from Australia, come over and played uh, for the G League Ignite this year. One of the youngest players in the draft. He's still 18 years old. Um, currently is like a 6'6", wait, 6'6", without shoes, point guard slash shooting guard. I kind of played point guard in Australia and at FIBA levels, but kind of coming over to America has moved a little bit more at the two, especially playing on the G League Ignite. He's playing next to Mr. Take Every Shot Possible, Jaden Hardy. Um, so he's had to take a bit of a backup role, but he's like uh, playing pretty well. Probably one of the best perimeter defenders in the draft, I would say. Um, 11 points, six rebounds, four and a half assists, two steals and a block per game. He's just so active defensively. He's absolutely massive. Just completely lead ball handlers just completely torments them with his size, speed and ability. And I think like he's a little bit like Cody Martin in some ways, but on a team that needs defense, and also needs ball handlers because behind Terry and Lamello, we haven't really got a point guard. I think Dyson Daniels could could be a great kind of break glass in case of emergency, play point guard, play in the wing, be a point of attack defender. Um, yeah, he's the guy I've gone for. So kind of, I think all the guys you mentioned there are pretty much available in, in that sort of range if the Hornets get the pick or not. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mark, Mark Williams and Coloco are probably two of the best big man defenders in college basketball. We got Dyson Daniels. I mean, we, they're, they're a lot, lots of, lots of defense is going to uh, the Charlotte Hornets in this imaginary scenario. I, it would, it would be pretty nice if uh, the Hornets kept that pick this year. To, let me, uh, let me ask you both a question. Um, there's, there's really like three, three guys at the top of this draft. Um, this is kind of, kind of off topic from the, the question that we just asked, but um, who's your, who's your number one, player between you know the the three guys whether it be uh jabari smith or chet holmgreen or paolo like who, who's your number one i'm like chase go first okay <laughs> My, mine is jabari smith i think that he has like the best combination of like explosive athleticism fluidity and strength of those three like paulo's the strongest but probably moves in space the worst of the three and then chet is obviously really tall and has absurd length and mobility but he's not very strong and likely will have to play a little bit of four like evan mobley does and at the beginning of his career because he just can't hold up against fives every night i i jabari is just like he just looks like kevin durant like he's 610 he can shoot over people he can dribble he can do stuff in the open court he defends like he doesn't really make like take bad shots or force anything, even though he's like clearly the best player on the floor. Most of the time he's out there. He, I, I, I've become a very big fan of Jabari Smith. I didn't know like anything about him at all preseason, but like Auburn is like appointment television for me at this point. So I have not dived into enough film yet to be able to have a strong stance on this, but I will give you an answer for the sake of the podcast. Um, in theory, I really like Chet Holmgren, uh, because defensively he's a beast. He has great vision and passing. It probably is like the best feel for that out of any of those two other guys, which is why I probably lean that way. Um, he's playing on such a talented Gonzaga team. He's playing almost like a role player. Whereas if he was on a, a, a different team, he would probably have a, a larger role. Um, and I think he'll be able to shoot it in the NBA eventually. He's, he's shown that while well, coming up the junior ranks and in USA basketball, um, 
you know, I watched him against Juan Banyama in the under-19s this past summer. It was, was a really interesting matchup. But, I mean, it's... I've not watched anywhere near as enough film, but D- Dylan, who, you've obviously got a good pick here. Who are you thinking? Oh, I got Jabari. I like everything that uh, that Chase said, but um, he he's just you know he, he's got a really really strong mix of athleticism. I love his frame. Uh, he can play defense when he wants to. Like he he makes some plays. He's always in the right spot, but he does let guys past him uh, a fair bit. So he's going to have to improve in that. I really like home green as well. Uh, I just, I think the the idea of Chet is probably better than what it is right now. I think that he has like, I, I would say that Chet has the highest ceiling of the three players. Um, Paolo as well. I think that this is a really, really strong draft class up front, uh, but I, I would definitely take Jabari as it stands right now, uh, just first overall. Yeah, it's like uh, one of those ones where you don't know who the number one pick is, but like in a good way. Not so much as in 2020 where people were like, oh, like this isn't this isn't a good year to have the number one pick. But it turns out it was a good year to have the number three pick. But I mean, this year, I feel like any of those three guys, like not none of the teams at the top will be upset with. But like you'll definitely have a preference like when it comes around to the draft, I'd be like. Are we sure we can't add AJ Griffin to that top group? We can. Because we can. Yeah, that's I, one I guy. Yeah. That's I, one guy I, who I have seen a lot of, and I am very intrigued. Yeah, him him, and Jaden Ivey. I would say Jayden at Ivey. five is probably when it takes, like, the, the teardrop down to the next level. But, yeah, AJ, AJ Griffin and Jaden Ivey could both very well end up as, like, a top player in this class in a couple years down the road. They're extremely athletic and – you know, both both wing wings and guards, and that that's kind of what runs the league. But all right, we want to wrap this one up. Let's do it. Thank you very much for coming on, Dylan. Good to have you back on. I can't remember we had didn't we? We had you on last season towards the end of the season, maybe draft time. So good to have you back on again. Yep, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, I think it was like March Madness or, or something like that. But uh, uh, yes, yeah. appreciate you guys. Yeah, no, yeah, of course, man. Where can uh, where can people find you on on Twitter and find all your writing yeah you can uh you guys can find me on uh, at the jackson dylan on twitter you guys can also follow swarman's thing as well that's where all my writing is published and the podcast that i do is on the website as well so it's kind of like a hub for for all of my hornets content all right well there we go thank you again for coming on dylan thank you to the listeners for sticking with us for this episode we will see you guys again in about a week have a good one